This morning's message is a continuation in our Advent series where we are looking at the book of Ruth. We're going to talk about the second theme of Advent this morning, which is peace. And we're going to do that looking at the second chapter of Ruth. So will you please join me for a quick prayer? Holy, 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 holy. Lord, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Thank you for everything that's happened that led me to this moment. I ask you, Lord, that you would bless this church. Not the building, Lord, but the people. The people are your church. Build in your church. Build up your church. Holy Spirit, bring us fresh revelation today. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. When I was in high school... One of my best friends was named Yasmin. Yasmin and Jasmine, true story. We were quite the pair. And we were friends throughout high school and college, but we really bonded when we both moved to New York City. We were two young girls just trying to figure it all out. And one Friday after a long week of work, we decided to treat ourselves to a luxury vacation in Atlantic City. So we took the mega bus down And we got a hotel room and we dropped our stuff off and we decided to get some fresh air on the boardwalk before we went to bed for the night. We were strolling along the boardwalk and we saw a fortune teller shop. And it said that the fortunes were only $5. So we decided to go in. And I'm gonna ask you for grace because the person telling you this story is very different from the one that I'm talking about. This was many, many years ago. We went into the shop and we told the lady that we wanted to have our fortunes told. And she said, okay, but that she didn't see people together. She separated us and she told me to come in first. And when I sat down, she said, I can see that things are going pretty okay for you, but they could be so much better. And one of the problems is your friend out there. She has bad energy and she might be holding you back. And she said, I can see how devastating this is for you, but don't worry, we can fix it. And she pulled out a small teal blue stone. And she told me that if I bought it and I carried it with me everywhere that I went, that it would fix everything. It would clear the air, clear the energy, and then I could keep my friend. And she said, but there's only one catch. You can't tell her that you have it because if you tell her, it's not gonna work. And I said, okay, and I bought it for $40. (laughs) Then I went out into the lobby and I played it cool and I sat down. And then Yasmin went in and when she came out, she was smiling and she said she had a great reading. So we went back to our hotel to go to bed. And the last thing I did before I went to sleep was put my teal blue stone underneath my pillow. I woke up in the morning to the sound of Yasmin taking a shower. And when it was my turn, I went in and I closed the bathroom door. And there in the corner, peeking out from underneath the clothes she had dropped was a small teal blue stone. I grabbed the stone, I ran back into the room and I said, where did you get this? How did you get my stone? And she looked up from where she was sitting. She was doing her makeup and she looked and she said, what? That's my stone. How did you get that? And she started searching around her bed. And then we realized at the exact same moment, 
She got us. She conned us. She got us good. She told us the exact same thing. We got dressed. We went outside. We found the closest garbage cans we could find. We threw those stones away. And then we got on the bus and we went home early. I have reflected on that story many times over the years. And I have a few thoughts. Number one, stay away from the Jersey Shore. (laughs) No, don't do it. But number two, everybody, everybody is searching for answers. Everybody is searching for peace. That's why I went in there that night. I wanted reassurance about what was gonna happen. I wanted peace. But we're not gonna find peace out here. Real peace cannot be purchased. Real peace is priceless because it comes from the Lord. And the peace he gives to us, we have to nurture it. And one of the ways that we nurture our peace is through our understanding of providence. Providence meaning that God is working all things together for his plan and his purpose and your good. Providence meaning that God is active and present and working in your story. And the result of knowing that, the fruit of knowing that, is peace. Last week, we talked about how providence leads to hope. Hope can be your companion. And what chapter two in Ruth shows us is that understanding providence also leads to peace. My hope for today is that you will walk out of here knowing about God's providential guidance, that you will know that God cares for you, but that you will believe it and that it will give you peace as well. Well, as you heard read in chapter two, there is a lot that happens, but I have narrowed it down to three big moments that teach us three big lessons. Three moments that I think are not only important for Ruth, but are important for us. Three lessons that I think we need to be reminded of, not only at Advent, but on a regular basis. And I hope that these lessons are going to teach us how to nurture peace. So in chapter one, quick review, we met a woman named Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth's story starts out pretty tragically, but as I mentioned last week, it ends victoriously because Ruth is one of the five women who are mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. These two widows left Moab. And they headed back to Bethlehem, which is Naomi's hometown. And Bethlehem happens to mean city of bread. Along the way, Naomi tried to convince Ruth to leave her. She said, you should turn around and go home and save yourself because I don't know what's gonna happen, but Ruth refused. She committed herself to Naomi. She committed herself to Naomi's God. She spoke these words, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. And so after a long, hard decade, these two women arrived in Bethlehem at the start of the barley harvest 
just as it was time to get to work. The first big moment happens pretty early on in the chapter. It happens when Ruth comes to Naomi for permission to go out and work in the fields. But I want y'all to notice something. It doesn't say Ruth. It says Ruth the Moabite. Why? Because the Bible does not want us to forget that Ruth is a Moabite. Why? Because the people around her are not going to forget that she's a Moabite. She is poor. She is vulnerable, and she is a foreigner. Now, a lot has changed since Ruth and Naomi walked the earth. But what hasn't changed is that we still live in a world that is not very kind to poor, vulnerable foreigners. We still live in a world that would normally overlook a person like Ruth. We still live in a world where people will judge you by what you look like, your clothes, your pedigree, where you went to school, and then maybe show some interest in your story. But Ruth does not let that stop her. She looks around trusting in God, and she sees that there's only one option for people like her, which is to go out and glean. Think about that. There's only one option for people like her. How many of you know people that immigrated to this country and there was only one option for people like them? The only option was to open a dry cleaners, open a deli, drive a cab, clean houses. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a real person who was a foreigner. Look at the color of my skin. I am from Tuskegee, Alabama. Only black folks. Where for years they had to go into other parts of the state to find work because there was only one option for people that looked like them. That's why when I come up here, I don't come to play. I might wear the same shoes every week, but I don't come to play because I understand the people that came before me, there was only one option for people that looked like them. And for Ruth, the only non-Jewish person in her community, this is her only option. Is it her dream job? Probably not. But it is the one open, available door to her. So what does she do? She steps through it, trusting that God is gonna guide her next steps. And that's lesson one for us today. You have to look for the open door in your life and step through it. You have to identify your opportunity and step through the door that God has opened for you. And we need this reminder, even though the times have changed, we would be crazy and foolish to ignore the realities of what poor, vulnerable foreigners face. And even for those who are not, even for those who have plenty of resources, lots of times it feels like opportunities are shrinking. Think about what you hear people say all the time. The dating pool is shrinking. The job market is shrinking. I can't find an apartment. Shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. 
There are times where we hit bumps in the road when you have plans and you have dreams and they just don't work out and it feels like God is not with you and like he's not for you. Stepping through the open door is not about denying what isn't working. It's about recognizing who's behind the scenes on the other side of the door. Even though doors A, B, C, D didn't open for you, you step through the one that's open and you do it with confidence. Why? Because you know with providence, God is leading you and he has a plan. And then guess what, babe? The stress starts to come off. You don't worry as much about that choice you have to make because you know ultimately, no matter what, he's gonna get you to where you need to be. And so it says, when Ruth went out to glean, she happened. She just happened to land in Boaz's field. She just happened to land in a place where there was a godly person in charge. Listen, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. Ruth might not have known, Boaz might not have known, but God knew exactly what was happening. This was a major part of his plan unfolding. So let's review that. In just a few lines, we have a woman stepping out in faith. We have a woman stepping through the door that God opened for her. God leading her to a plain field. Ain't nothing special about it, yet he's gonna bless her there. And we have God connecting her with the person who is ultimately gonna bring her all the way into her destiny. As I was studying for this message, I read this quote. It said, if our great God can orchestrate such monumental events on the stage of a simple field, What can he do with the seemingly mundane circumstances or events in your life? If he can do so much with a field and you see all that you have in your hands, all that you're gonna go home to, what can he do with that? Ponder that. Ponder what the Almighty can do. That is one of the ways that we nurture our peace. The second lesson that this chapter teaches us is that providence doesn't need laws. Let me say that again, and then let me explain what I mean. Providence doesn't need laws. Okay, so when Ruth, the Moabite, sets out to glean in the fields, what's being referred to there is a Jewish law that mandates that whenever a field is being commercially harvested, the people who go out to collect the grain, uh, the reapers, they are supposed to leave something behind for other people to come out and collect. For, this is meant for the poor, for the marginalized. And they were also supposed to work very quickly Right? They're supposed to be gathering up what they can and moving on. They're not supposed to worry about what they drop or pick it up. That ensures that there's gonna be some left over for other people to get. And they're also only supposed to clear the middle of the field. They're supposed to intentionally leave the edges alone. And so as I mentioned, Ruth came to Boaz's field. And Boaz is a godly man. How do we know this? Well, in the rest of the chapter and throughout the book, 
He's going to greet people in the name of the Lord. But more importantly, he's going to do what is required of him by the Lord. In addition to allowing Ruth to come in and glean, Boaz also instructs his workers to leave extra grain behind just to ensure she's able to get some. Now, if we only used this passage to acknowledge that God takes care of the poor and the vulnerable, that would be great. But we can get so much more out of this because this shows us that not only does he care for the poor, but that laws do not exist outside of his providence. Laws are a part of his providence. Laws can be a part of the way that God brings his grand plan to care for people, to get people to where they need to go together. Nonetheless, providence doesn't depend on laws. If there's a law that your local assemblyman or your local congressman does or does not get passed, guess what? That's not gonna affect God's grand plan. God is still gonna get it done with or without the law. Providence doesn't need laws. What it needs is godly people. It's always about people. That's why Boaz is so important. If Ruth had wound up in someone else's field who didn't care about the law, who doesn't care what God has to say about taking care of the poor and the vulnerable, things would have turned out very differently for her. And this is a word for us today, especially because we're always being inundated by politics. It's so easy to become very cynical about the government. It's easy to criticize what we see happening in government. But when we're tempted to do that, we need to remember this story. What might seem like it's just a law might be a part of God's plan to care for his people and those laws are always gonna need godly people like you and I to enact them. If we don't, it doesn't get done. He works providence through people. The final moment that I want us to draw from, y'all please excuse me. The final moment that I want us to draw from um, begins in verse eight. And um, it's the moment right after Ruth meets Boaz. Boaz is thoughtful and caring. He's generous in a dark time when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. He truly stands out as a shining light. And it is also noted that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. He is a relative of Naomi's husband. And this means that as the kinsman redeemer, he is the person that is supposed to act if one of his relatives is in trouble. Upon meeting Ruth and recounting her history back to her, remember I said that, you know, he meets her. You know, she introduces herself. He says, yeah, I, you know, I know who you are. I've, I've heard about you. I heard how you took care of your mother-in-law. I heard how you did all these great things. He recounts her history to her. 
And then he tells her something so important. He says, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. And later in the chapter, Boaz invites Ruth to sit at his table. He gives her bread and wine to dip it in and he feeds her until she is full and satisfied to the point that she has more than enough food to carry it back to Naomi and share it with her. If we had to sum up Boaz's words to Ruth, his actions, the spirit behind what he does and what he says, we would sum it up like this. Stay close to me, under my protection, and be full and satisfied. And those are words and actions and a spirit that we need to let wash over us because every person in here is on a journey. Everybody's on a journey. It might not look like roots, but along the way in your journey, you're gonna look for hope and peace. And what's interesting is that most of us have already been called to a place where God intends to bless us. And yet we keep looking around at other people's fields. You wanna see what's going on in somebody else's field. What are they doing? Well, how did they get a new job so fast? Oh, you know what? If I had that, I'd be satisfied. If I had that, I'd be satisfied. That is one of the reasons that Boaz tells Ruth to keep her eyes on his field and the people he's assigned her to. Because if she doesn't and she's working fast, trying to come behind other people and you know glean and glean and glean and pick up what's left behind and she takes her eyes off of them, she's not gonna know where to go. And isn't that true for us living in New York? Isn't that what we're all doing Monday through Friday? You trying to work fast, moving behind other people, picking up what you can, trying to make what you can, do what you can. And if you take your eyes off of what God has told you to pay attention to, you're gonna end up in a place he never intended for you to be with your blessing diminished. Or we try to find peace out here in finite resources and things that are never, ever going to satisfy. Yeah, we know, you know, we know there's gonna be mountains and valleys, right? We know not every day is gonna be perfect. Mama ain't raised no fool. You know, we know there's gonna be highs and lows. We might even believe in the providential hand of the Lord that's there to guide us every step of the way. But all of us still wanna know, where am I going? Where are you taking me? How is my life going to turn out? That's what we all wanna know. That's what causes the lack of inner peace. But that's where we get our final lesson from chapter two. Because providence isn't leading you to a place, it's leading you to a person. Just like with Ruth, it was never about the place, it was always about the person. 
Providence led her to Boaz. And thanks to Ruth and Boaz, you and I are being led to Jesus. Jesus, who already knows your history. When you meet him and you stand before him, if you can stand, he's gonna tell you your history. I know all about you. I saw what you did. I saw how you kept pushing through. Jesus, who took notice of you when nobody else did. Jesus, who on this day is calling you to stay close under my protection and be full and satisfied. Nothing else is going to satisfy. Not the way Jesus can. Nothing else is gonna be with you during the worst moments of your life and give you the comfort that you need. Nothing else is gonna fill your soul. It's not a horoscope. It's not a cocktail. It's not a teal blue stone. It is the rock of Jesus. He is your shield and the horn of your salvation and your stronghold. And he loves you so very, very much. We really can be full and satisfied by Jesus. He came down from heaven. He gave this world new life. When he was here, it's so interesting. He, he really was here. It, it's, it's not a story. It's real. He was here. And when he was here, and he would walk along. People are just desperate, desperate to get by him. And they, they're always coming around him. And they always keep saying, give us the bread. You know, give us this bread. We, we want it. And Jesus said, I am the bread. I am the bread. I give the life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Providence and peace cannot be separated. And providence is working on you and all around you and it's leading you to Jesus. Jesus, the one in whom we are filled in whom we are made new, who gives us hope and peace and a future. Let's pray. Jesus, I just wanna make room, more room for you. This whole season, this whole setup is all about you. I ask that you do what only you can do. When we doubt, 
when we feel anxious. Remind us that you are not only at the end of the road, but you're there walking it with us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.